and welcome back to Life with Epilepsy. I'm your host, Amanda Robar. Today, I'm going to be talking about epilepsy and depression. And for this episode, I am going to be talking about my life experience dealing with epilepsy and depression. So, first of all, just like anxiety, epilepsy and depression come hand in hand. And honestly, guys, truth be told, it sucks. It really, really does. And there's nothing we can do about it. I have gone through several rough patches in my life and I would cry, I would look out the window, wish upon a star, I would talk to my deceased grandparents, some of my deceased cousins, I would ask why, why me? And I would tell people to just go away and leave me alone. And it was so hard and can continue to be hard. But you really don't know how rough a patch you're in until you don't want to be here anymore. And in 2014, that was the case for me. I figured that death was a better alternative than having to take my medication several times a day, every day. And it didn't seem to do much. And if it did, it just made me more depressed. And this broke my parents' heart. And my sibling, who lives about two and a half hours away, came up and tried to talk to me, and I was having none of it. I was so upset. I was in tears. I wanted to throw my medication container across the room, but I knew that that would only make me feel worse seeing all those pills scattered across the floor. And I was done. Just plain old done. So, my family and I went to the therapist that we would see, and she asked me, do you have a plan? And my response to her was yes. And she said, what is it? And I said, I'm going to slip my wrists. And she said, I want you to go to the hospital. And I wasn't going to fully argue. I knew that was probably the best plan. But I hadn't eaten anything that day. I had just been in such a low, at the lowest I'd ever been. I said, I will go, but I need to eat something first. So my family and I went to Boston Pizza and had dinner and after dinner I went to South Lake Hospital and with my mother's help 
admitted myself to the inpatient voluntary psychiatric unit. Now, there are two sides to the psychiatric, psychiatric unit, excuse me, at South Lake. One of them is where you go in voluntarily and can earn privileges to come out after a certain amount of days and how you're doing. And the other side is locked. So I was not in the locked unit, but I did have to earn my privileges to go outside and get fresh air. And it was really tough because you weren't supposed to have any electronics. So my parents had to take my phone and my phone has music on it. And music is one thing that helps calm me down. And I was so down and that's something else I use music for. I didn't want to take the meds when I was in the hospital, I just cried. I cried for about two and a half days into the third day and one of the staff members came to me when I was against the wall. I was sitting on the floor leaning against the wall with my head down and she said, Amanda. And I said, I'm not taking them. I don't want to take them. And she said, look up. And in her hands, she had a Walkman. Now, for those of you that don't know what a Walkman is, it is where you could put CDs in and have the headphones and carry around the CD player with you. Okay, it was tiny and portable. So... That was a Walkman, and it was used with CDs. Now, I had to ask for the Walkman from time to time, but that was the privilege I got because they could not get me to stop crying when I was in there for the first, oh, two and a half days. And when I was there... I was there for two weeks, and it was tough. I got to see people who had been there before and seemed quite calm and content to be there. And I saw people that were saying, I want out, I don't want to stay here, and were on the telephone being told, if you come out, we're not taking you back into the house because you need the help and the whole nine yards. I am a night hawk, so I didn't want to disturb my neighbor. It was a two bedroom unit. So I would go into the main section where we would eat and play games and stuff like that. And play solitaire with cards, do some word searches, uh, mini puzzle books and stuff like that. And at one point, there was a gentleman who never slept either, but he paced the halls up and down, up and down. And 
the staff were quite familiar with him, so he had been in and out, I guess, multiple times and drove me a little crazy, but it was one of the many things that I had to deal with while being in the unit. Partway through the first week, I was ready to leave, ready to get out of there, but I was told, no, like, you need to stay. So at the end of two weeks, I finally got to come out. However, mentally, I knew that I was not ready to be out in the big world yet. So the doctors from the inpatient unit wrote down that I should be attending the outpatient unit, but there was a bit of a waiting list. However, I eventually did get to the outpatient unit. And it was actually quite helpful. I bonded with a couple of the people in the unit. We haven't really been in touch since. It's been several years. But over the lunch break, we would watch Family Feud and we would just have a ball. We would be laughing and everything like that. And the staff would pop their heads in and say, okay, it's time for class to start again. And we would be saying, wait, wait, just give us one minute. We think we know the answer. Oh, there could be two answers here. And we were just so happy and excited during that time. The outpatient program was about five to six weeks. And one of the things we did was meditation and I was no good at that. So if you are good at meditation, right on. That is gonna be something that will help you. But I was more the arts and games type person. At the outpatient unit, they connected us with various programs outside of the hospital, like CMHA and the Women's Centre of York Region and Family Services, things like that, where you could go and try programs to help keep you out of that depression and help you move forwards into society. In between the inpatient and outpatient unit, I said to my mom, I can't be on the phenobarbital anymore because I wasn't getting well. I was attending the programs but I knew that I was still being pulled down from the medication so eventually I did come off of it and that helped when I was in the outpatient unit because I could feel myself getting better and when I left the outpatient unit I got registered 
for CMHA. So again, CMHA. I went there and I looked around and I was still down. So I, I semi-blended in with other people there. I did some gardening with them. I did music programs with them. And I went camping with them two years. And as time went on, I realized how strong I was compared to some of the other people at CMHA. I also, over time, it took a little bit, but got into a program at the Women's Center of York Region, and it was a course, and the course was over a year and a half period. Uh, it had four courses in it, so this one big class, I guess you would say, had four components to it. So you would go to each one, and once you had graduated each one, you'd graduated the class. The Women's Center helped me so much. It's hard to explain. It gave me the courage and possibly a bit more attitude to be able to say no and to be able to try and compromise with my family at that time. So I was attending things at CMHA and the Women's Center. And the Women's Center helped lift me up and see how strong I was. And I started to leave programs at CMHA because of how strong I, I realized I was. And that was a really difficult road because it took me a good two and a half years to come out of that very deep depression. When I graduated from the Women's Center of York Region, I knew I needed another project to do because I knew that doing nothing would pull me back down into a depressed state. So in the spring of 2016, I joined Sensi. It was good for me even though I wasn't there very long, about two years, two and a half years, because it gave me a new community to surround myself with. I was trying out something new, which was a good start. I got to meet with my superstar director, and she is nothing but fun. So... A lover. I went to Sensi Family Reunion twice and the first time I was quite nervous and they would hold these in February so 
a nice cold month and my dad would drive me down to Toronto and I was really nervous. I had my service dog with me and my superstar director found me and she just put her arm around my shoulder and basically just gave me a hug and she was smiling and I started to loosen up a bit. I was still anxious, but I started to be surrounded by the Sensi community and they were just a bunch of fun-loving people. And I got to meet the founders, second founders of it, I'll, I'll say. And just nothing but love from them. And then I went the following year. And that same year, I also went to Disneyland, or at least close to it, across from it, so to California, and had world tour, which I had never done. And I kind of booked my own hotel across from Disney. So I was paying less and I was close to the convention center. But no matter where you walked, you were bumping into a sensi person, a rep or a superstar director or a star director, whoever. So I became quite comfortable there. And part of the reason is I knew my way around uh, Disneyland. I didn't know the back way in from where I was staying at my hotel, but I knew the downtown Disney and I knew the worlds. So I had a good upper hand there where other people might be going, where are we going? I was able to say, oh, we're going this way and lead the way. And that was because I had attended Epilepsy Awareness Day in Disneyland from 2015 up until 2019, but the event was in 2018, so 15, 16, 17, so three years. I had three years on them of uh, going around Disney. And I just had a blast. I finally started wrapping my Sensi up. I knew that that business wasn't going where I wanted it to go. And, you know, it was kind of sad. But at the same time, I knew I had tried something. I thought, I'll hang on a bit more and see what happens. And although Sensi did not go the way I had hoped, something else in my life changed. When I was 19, I put my name on the rent geared to housing list. They told me that it could be a 10-year waiting list. Well, I was on the list for six years. In 2018, 
I got a phone call asking if I wanted to come and look at one of the units in the German-Canadian housing complexes, and that's one of the places I applied. I applied in so many places all over, but I wanted to be close to my family if I could. So my parents drove me up to Newmarket, which was about a 15-minute drive, not very far at all, and we went and looked around the unit. Now, they had warned us in advance that the person who had been living there hadn't gotten all their stuff moved out yet, but that was going to be happening. So we go, and they unlock the door, I look around and my eyes just lit up with excitement. I could tell where a small couch would go or a love seat. I could see where a table would go, where my television would go, where a new upsized bed would go in the bedroom, where the bookshelf would go, where I'd place the DVDs, everything. I could see it in my mind and my parents are looking around at this disaster of a unit thinking, oh my gosh, she's moving into a dump. I knew that was not the case. I knew that all the stuff that was in the unit was going to be gone and like I said, could see where all of my stuff would be going. The other thing you have to understand about rent geared to income housing is that you only get to say no three times and then they kick you off the list and you wind up going at the bottom of the list again. So when I was asked if I was interested in the unit after I had looked at it and been shown around the property, I said yes. Now, I was also very anxious because I knew that I would be moving drugstores and that frightened me because I had been at the same drugstore since I was born. So for 34 years, I had been in the same spot, had gotten to know the people, any switches over that happened and any questions I had. So it was a little family. So for me, that made me very anxious. However, one of the head pharmacists at my now old pharmacy said, oh, you're moving to such and such a location? Oh, I know the head guy there. He's great. You're going to love it. They're great over there. And that helped release some of the anxiety that I was having. Not all of it. I still didn't know the people there yet. But at least I knew someone who did. When I finally went to the new drugstore, they said to me, because I use blister packs for my medication, 
Do you want them every week? Do you want them every other week? Would you like them once a month? And I said, that's an option? And they said, yeah. And I was used to picking them up every single week, which was getting a little annoying. So I said, every other week would be great. And they made it happen. So I went from this really, really low place where I did not think that I would be able to pull myself out of, which if I had not gotten help, I would not be here today. To living on my own with my service dog, knowing my way around the community, having some great neighbors, and just living life the way I want to live it. And it is great. I also will not forget the day I moved in because it was a bit of a strange day. Normally people move in at the beginning of the month, but for me, I wound up moving in December 15th, 2018, and I hadn't seen my sister in a while, and the day you would expect December 15th to be cold and gloomy and everything, it was not. It was a beautiful December day. I could not have asked for a better day for moving. Neither could my family. I had uh, some of my cousins, my aunts, my uncles, my parents, my sister, all helping me move in, getting things set up. We had gotten Tim Hortons for everyone, and it was just a fun, at the same time stressful day, but we made it happen, and I tell you the stressful part was because the bed had not arrived yet. It did arrive on that day, but not in the time frame that they said it was going to arrive. So I was getting a little concerned that there was going to be no bed in my unit the day I was supposed to move in. But that was all right, because everything fell into place in the end. And I got to unbox stuff and organize things. And life has been really good. Other than the pandemic that hit us. But in general, life has been great. I now volunteer at the theater where there are the live shows. And it is just so much fun. 
It is about 25 minutes to get to the Magna Center where you can do Zumba classes or swim or skate or whatever. And maybe an additional five, 10 minutes to get to the theater. But for theater, I typically get a ride to theater and back so that my volunteer clothes don't look disgusting. But other than that, I walk pretty much everywhere around town and explore new spots when I find them. And the new pup is learning the town. She grew up in the country and it took her the month of July and a little bit bit of August to get used to town life. I wanted to share this with you because, like I said, depression and epilepsy come hand in hand, and it can be quite horrible. And without a support system, you could lose someone that you really care about. And... I wouldn't wish that upon anyone. And after living through it, I understand. I could see it in my family's face, how upset they were and saddened and how could this possibly be going on to their little girl? And my sister hadn't realized, excuse me, how bad depression can get in someone's life when they have epilepsy. So it was an eye-opener for everyone, a big one, and... I never want to go back there ever again. So try to understand what someone's going through. But when it comes to depression, you just need to be there for them and locate support systems that are not you. Because usually the person needs someone else that is not family. And that may seem cold, but it usually is the case when someone is so deeply depressed, they need someone that is not related to them in order to get help. So I hope this has been informative and that you can take bits or all of this away and understand that it's not you. It is a combination 
of the epilepsy, so a combination of the brain and possibly medication related and that can cause the severe depression. So always keep an eye on medication levels. Maybe there is something else that is going on in the person's life. Mine was incredibly stress-related. So when that was off my chest and I got the help I needed, I was able to move forwards slowly, but now I'm here talking to you and hoping that you can take this in, whether you yourself have epilepsy, whether you have a sibling, child, whoever, that may be listening to this, know that there are options out there, places they can go to get help. If it has to be the hospital, make it the hospital. If you can get a doctor to sign off and say, maybe this community center will be able to help them Um, This mental health unit can help them wherever it may be. Help is available, mostly online now. If you can get an in-person, that is, in my opinion, the best option. And you can make better connections that way. But having a sense of community, I find, is very important, at least for me. So getting out there and helping other people is helpful for me, even though it's just the theater, it's my happy place. And if you're feeling low, you need a happy place. So whether that is a Zumba class, theater, volunteering for heart and stroke, whatever it might be, make sure you have somewhere that you can go. It's so important to keep your mental health in check because when depression strikes, it can strike hard. Thanks for listening, and I will see you in another episode of Life with Epilepsy. I'm your host, Amanda Robar, signing out.